0: Good. Good. Open your Bibles up. Genesis 22. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Genesis 22. Today we finish our series called A People of Faith and we're going to end on a bang today. Um, It it feels kind of like we're saying goodbye today to, to some old friends that we've been traveling with for the last what few months. And uh, that's kind of the feel of the story, actually, as God is asking Abraham to say goodbye once again to someone else that he loves. Uh, so we're going to read Genesis 22. Um, I'm going to read down to uh, 19. If you need a Bible, just pop your hand up. We'll have an elder or someone get a Bible to you. And um, Genesis 22. I'm going to start in verse 1. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. (coughs) Holy God, we come to you thanking you for your word, that you speak to us. You continue to speak to your people, and even to those that are not yet your people. And God, I just pray that simply that you would speak very clearly and plainly to us that you would add your power, Holy Spirit, to the, the proclaiming of your word, Lord, that you would help us receive with uncrossed arms and uncrossed hearts and uncrossed minds the word that you prepared for us today and that we as a church, as Crossway, as a church, we would receive your word today and that you would change us. You would change us, that we would be people that bear witness to that there is a God who is faithful and good and he's worth following. You are worth following. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. What is the most difficult thing that you have ever had to do in your life? Are you thinking about something? What is the most difficult thing that you've had to do up to this point in your life? Was it watching your son or daughter make a very poor, life-altering choice? Maybe it was waiting and waiting and waiting for something that you really wanted, but you just weren't sure if it was ever going to happen, and that was difficult for you. Maybe you took a job that you didn't like because it was the only option available to you. I mean, you have experience, you have a college education, and you find yourself working with the lunch ladies at the local high school. You didn't want that job, and you took that job because that was the only job that was offered to you. Often during those times, we can feel like what we are enduring is uncommon. It's a rarity. It's unusual. Like it's beyond anything that anyone else has to deal with or experience. It can feel like it's more. It's beyond what we can handle. Am I right? It can often feel like a rubber band that's just been stretched a little bit too tight to its breaking point. Although these crisis moments are different for each of us, there is something that we as followers of Christ all experience at different points in our life, and that is the testing of our faith. Can I get an amen? Amen. We all experience these tests of faith, and if you haven't experienced a test of faith, maybe you're a new Christian or you're a young person, cheer up, you will. Okay? <laughs> you will. God uses these seasons in our life to reveal the allegiance of our heart. The Apostle Peter knows something about this. He says in 1 Peter 1:6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's testing. They're trials we go through. So that the tested genuineness, the tested genuineness of what? Of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, uh, though, though it perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result, the test has a result, result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. No moment is wasted for the Christian during testing. Isn't that good news? There's not a wasted moment when you're being tested of your faith. God uses every bit of it, every bit of it to refine, to purify our faith in him and to show that he is faithful to us. That's the only way we can really sing, great is thy faithfulness unto me, because we've gone through that test, and we know it's true. And here's what our passage is about. God wants our highest allegiance to be towards him, and he uses periods of testing to make that happen. God wants our highest allegiance to be towards him, and he uses periods of testing to make that happen. To make it a reality. So what do we need to know in order to endure those times of testing? Well, we need to know what God uses. We need to know what God requires. And we need to know what God provides. And those are the three things we're going to talk about this morning, okay? We need to know what God uses. God tests our allegiance to Him through what we treasure, And we need to know this before we go into a test or a trial, because it will help us. Look at the text, verse 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of those mountains of which I shall tell you. He's not even going to tell him yet. This this is a lot like Genesis 12, one, right? Go to the place I will show you. In Isaac, we got to remember in Isaac are all the promises of God contained. He is the miracle child. It is through this boy, this young man now, that God is going to keep all of his promises and he's going to redeem his people in the world through Isaac. There is no plan B. There is no backup plan. Right? God has asked Abraham to say goodbye already to his other son. Right? That was last week. The son that he loved. And he said, Trust me. Trust him to me, and you trust me. I'll take care of him, and I'm going to take care of you. God has asked at the very beginning of this whole journey, from the very beginning of this story that we that we started. He said, forget your past, right? He told Abraham, leave your father and leave your kindred and your country and everything that was familiar, everything you had going for, leave all that and follow me. So leave your past. And he did. He trusted God. And now it seems that God is telling him to say goodbye to his future his future he's been waiting 25 years for it's finally been answered he's got a few good years he's got to spend with his his son and God's saying say goodbye say goodbye to your future think about this your past your present your future trust it all to me Do you understand what's happening here the text emphasizes how important Isaac is to redemptive history and how precious he is to Abraham by repeating this phrase three times in the story Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Isaac's pretty important. Abraham treasured his only son because his life and his laughter, even his future existence, was in his son Isaac. It rested on him. It was based on him. The question at the, in this story is, will, will Abraham place his trust in Isaac or in God? And at this point in the story, we don't know. It's a coin toss. It could go either way. This is a big thing God's asking him to do, Right? Where is Abraham's ultimate allegiance? You see, I don't know about you, but I read this, I think it'd be very easy if I'm in his place to say no. It'd be very easy for Abraham to say no. Look at all I've given up for you, God. I'm doing this for you. You asked me to, and I did it. I've given up my past. I've given up my present. Now you're asking for my future to go, to go into your hands? I've trusted to you, and now you want the one good thing that you've given to me? No, I can't do that. You are asking too much, God. I could easily see that happening, even in my life. Not all the time, but many times. Not all the time, but many times, when God wants to test our faith, when He wants to reveal where our true allegiance of our heart actually lies, he will use things that we treasure, that are precious and valuable to us. And he will do it by putting those things we treasure in jeopardy. This is another jeopardy to the promise. This is a recurring theme in Genesis. I hope you guys are seeing this. Except so for God's the one putting it in jeopardy this time. What is the thing that holds the key to our future? That, that, that's how you know what you treasure. Well, how you answer that question. It's the thing that we believe. You know what? As long as I have that thing, I'm gonna make it. As long as I have this, I will be okay. And for some of us, that's our marriage. That's our spouse, and how well we're doing with our spouse. For some of us, that is our job, and how well we're doing with our work, and how well we're doing with our career. For some of us, that is our health. For some of us, that's graduating, get a college degree, or getting accepted into the college that we want. Because we don't get accepted in that college, what's, what, that's our future, right? Strip everything else away from my life, and if I have this, I'll be okay. That's your treasure. That's how you can tell. What is that, family, for you? No, really. Like, really. Like, don't give me the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. I know. It's supposed to be Jesus. I know it's supposed to be God. No, but, like, look at what happened to you yesterday and how you acted and responded. What was it? Or this week? Like, don't go five years back. Just go this week. (laughs) What do you treasure? What is... That very precious thing for you. Is it your health? Is it being right? That was right. I'm right in what I believe. Is it keeping your Saturdays open? Is that really precious for you? What is it? Is it your children? Is it your grandchildren? What is that for you? Look, if I'm being honest with you, and I, and I try. I don't do a great job. I try to be honest with you guys. But if I'm being honest with you, it's my wife sometimes. That's what I treasure the most. That's the thing I say, look, if everything else just goes to pot, and and she loves me, and we're together, and we're good, I'll be good. I'll be okay. I can make it. I can do this. Can we be that honest? Is that all right, guys? I hope so. I hope we're getting there. I'm just telling you. And if you think you don't treasure anything besides God... I was thinking about you, too, while I was writing this. See, everybody's going to get something today. If you think you don't treasure anything but God, just watch how you respond when something that is precious to you gets moved, gets put in jeopardy. Just watch how you react when something that you value as supreme, someone else comes along, and they don't value it like you do. They don't speak honorably. They speak dishonorably about it. Right? Right? Or it moves. It changes. Changes in appearance. Changes in availability. Changes in, it it moves. It changes, right? Or if God changes it. If God touches it. When God asks you to give it over to him. See, that's how you can identify what your heart treasure is. The biblical word would be idol. That's your functional God. That's your functional idol. You guys tracking with me? And those are some of the ways you can test it out. And, 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 and you, you may not be able to do that by yourself, but I, I don't think we can do that by ourselves. We need one another to do that. We need to other, let other people come into our life and speak into our life and say, what is that? Let me ask you these questions. Now, you fool you, but you're not going to fool me because I know you. So what is it for you? What are you treasuring right now? Many times, many times, God tests our allegiance to him through what we treasure the most. And guess what? When we know that, ahead of time, it's actually a resource when we go into the time of testing. It actually helps us get through that time of testing. We know, like, this is, this is your method, this is how you do it. Okay, it's on. I got it. Doesn't take it away, but I'm just saying it's a resource when the testing comes Secondly, we need need to know this. We need to know that true allegiance to God requires radical submission to God. True allegiance to God, true faith, requires radical submission to God. Now check this out in verse 12. We'll go back to the text. He said, "This is God. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have seen you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me." And every word of those sentences has meaning. So the, the immediate question comes up when we get to this point in the story is this. Doesn't God know everything? What is, why is God saying this? Doesn't he already know? If Abraham is going to show supreme faith in him, doesn't he know that, God, that Abraham truly trusted him before this, he brought him into this test? And, and the short answer is yes, duh. He knows. He's God. He already knows everything. But he knows it in a cognitive sense. Like in an informational, like data, he knows the data about it. Just like we know cognitively that electricity is powerful enough to run a toaster. I just told you, electricity is powerful enough to run a toaster, so now you know. But it is very different than knowing electricity is powerful enough to run a toaster by sticking a knife in it when it's on. You will know it experientially. God is saying that he knows in an experiential sense. What he always has known has been finally made visible. See, now I see. It's been shown. It's been revealed. What was hidden inside has been revealed. It's been put on the outside. His faith's been demonstrated. Through Abraham's radical submission to God, he shows his true allegiance to God. He shows his true allegiance to God. I came from the show me state. I love passages like this. God's a show me kind of God. This is exactly, by the way, how James defines true faith or true allegiance to God. We've talked about this before, but James 2 21 goes like this Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He's talking about Genesis 22. So much of the Bible goes back to this storyline. It's incredibly important for us to understand this story, for everything else we're going to be talking about. Was he not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. It was shown And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. Meaning, not by faith that is alone. Just words. It's one thing to say we believe in God, brothers and sisters. Like to say, I believe he's redeemer. He's forgiven my sins. He is, he is the ultimate meaning of my life. I believe in God. It's one thing to say that he is the core of our life. And that may be true for us. But it is until it is demonstrated, until it is demonstrated, you don't know if it's real. That may be true. But you don't know that it's real until it's demonstrated. And then you know it's real, not just true. It's easy to say, I trust that God is my life. It's easy to say, I trust that he is all I need in this life and the life to come. He's all, my all in all, when God is blessing your life. He's just doling out the blessings, right? It's easy to say that I, tr- I truly trust in God when he gives us a new job, or he gives us a promotion, or he brings someone wonderful into our life or we're enjoying great health, or he gives you the new grandbaby, your kids are making great choices instead of acting like they're allergic to wisdom, all right? It's easy to say, I trust God, I trust him. It's easy to say that when your church is baptizing new believers and people that were stubborn in their ways are now wanting to grow in maturity, it's easy to say, I trust God, God's got this, right? Right? But what about when you follow God and the blessings stop coming for a while? What happens when, instead of getting that promotion, you get a demotion? What happens when that person that you thought God brought in, wonderful person you brought into your life, is really not the person for you? What happens then? Uh, on Friday, I, I walked, uh, true, my daughter down to her bus stop. I wasn't going to do it at the very last second. I, I just changed my mind. I'm going to walk her down the bus stop. And the bus driver, he stopped, kids go on, and he goes like that, and he waves me over. So I will go out into the street, and uh, he told us that his grandson was in a really bad accident a few days ago. We knew about that, and he was like 20. And he, he waves me over, and he said, um, looks like he's not going to make it. And he was really sad-faced. I mean, he's just doing his job. He's going to work doing his job with a bunch of screaming kids in the back. He says, looks like he's not going to make it. And he says, will you pray for me? And I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. And I said, can I pray right now? So I'm standing in the middle of the street. I reached my arm up into the window, and traffic stopped on both sides. And we're going to stop traffic. We're going to (laughs) pray for him and his grandson. And I went home, and I cried really loudly. I'm sure my neighbors heard me. What happens when God says, I am going to take back this gift that I I gave you for a while? See? What happens when He says that? And He says, Will you trust that I know what I'm doing? Will you trust that I am enough for you now? You see, the only way you can really know that your highest allegiance is to God and not to His blessings is when God is all you have and you still submit to Him. That's how you know. When God's all you have and you still submit to Him, you say, Here I am. Here I am. God is asking Abraham to radically submit by giving him the last and final good thing that he could hold on to for hope. I want want that thing. That thing you just it's just precious to you that I gave you. I, I want it back now. Abraham is going through a little bit of what Job's gonna go through through his whole life, right? There's so much in this passage. God is saying, I want to see that your highest allegiance is to me because I am worth it. I'm God, and I'm worthy of it. I want to see that your highest allegiance is not to my blessings, but to me, that I am enough for you. I am who you love. Will you submit to me? Will you truly let me be first in your life with no competitors? We're in a relationship, I want to know this. I want to, I want to see this. Family, God asks the same of us who call ourselves believers. We're going to wear that name, we're going to wear that jersey, we're going to wear that tag. He asks the same thing of us, okay? True faith that saves, true faith that is counted as righteousness is faith that is demonstrated by radical submission to the Lord. Every time God tests our faith, he is asking us to believe that he is greater, that he is higher, that he is far more satisfying than any blessing he could give us. And he calls us to respond like Abraham with radical submission. That means that there is nothing in our life that we would withhold from God if he were to ask it of us. That's all radical submission is. It's not I'll open up all the doors of my house, but that door, it's locked and I keep the key. All the doors are open. It's, it's, It's yours. In fact, the whole house is yours. That's radical submission. I know what you're thinking. Great. That, that's nice. Now I know exactly what to do, all right? <laughs> but information isn't our problem, right? We live in the information age. Information obviously is not our problem for doing these things. Why don't we do this? Why do we say, you know what, I'll keep my Isaac? Because it's an incredibly hard thing to do, let's be honest, apart from God. We need God to obey God. Isn't that crazy? We need God to worship God. We need God to obey God. We need God to talk to God. We need God. God's the hero of the story, family, right? Abraham's not the hero of the story. God's the hero of the story. And here's a pro tip for you to interpret the Bible. God's always the hero of every story in the Bible. And guess what? God is the hero of of the story of your life. God is the hero of our story. This has to come from God And see, God has provided what we need to submit through Christ. God has provided what we need to submit through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the text, verse 7 and 8. It says, And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering my son and so they both went both of them together how was Abraham able to radically submit to God in the midst of a test like this because God had provided what he needed to get him to the test that's how God provided what He needed to even get Him to the test. There's so many provisions in this passage. For the sake of time, I'm only going to mention three. Okay, it's like loaded. Here's a provision. Number one, when God commanded Abraham to offer up his son Isaac, in the Hebrew, it it really translates as a request, not a booming command from on high. This is very interesting. Changes the meaning of the verse. It changes the meaning of the verse. It literally translates, please take your son, your only son. Or you could say, you could actually say, I beg you. This is highly unusual for God to speak to a human like this. This is a very intimate, wonderful covenant relationship that God is in with Abraham. God is revealing, even as the request difficult request is coming out of just picture out of the mouth of God he's supplying I am compassionate I am tender hearted towards you I know how difficult it is what I'm asking of you and I want you to know who is asking I know I know it's like simultaneous It's, it's beautiful secondly God tells Abraham to go to Mount Moriah to make this sacrifice which means Moriah means provide or sees, or salvation. The Lord says, so I see. He saw on the Mount of Seen. God will test Abraham in the very place that he intends to provide for him. Isn't that crazy? This is another clue. It's another resource that God is giving Abraham to help him trust God, to get him to the test. Thirdly, God reminds Abraham of his promise by emphasizing by name that Isaac is his only son. He's like, I'm asking something difficult of you, please. All right? And I know what I'm asking. Remember this though. Isaac's your miracle son. He came from me. Remember this. Through Isaac and no one else will I keep my promise. Remember, through Isaac and no one else, I'm going to keep my promise. Because God has provided what Abraham needed to get him to this test, he believes that God will provide what he needed to get him through the test. Let me say that again. Because God provided what Abraham needed to get him to the test, he believes that God will give him what he needs to get him through the test. And he did god did how are we able to radically submit to god in the midst of such a great test brothers and sisters it's when we believe that god has provided what we need and he has provided what we need through christ god gave us the ultimate how much more now would he give us what we need now in this lesser thing you see, what Abraham was looking forward to in faith to help him submit, God's provision, some way, somehow, I don't know how, but just some way, somehow, is going to provide what he looked forward to in faith, we look back on in faith through Christ. God's provision through Jesus Christ, and it helps us submit in those moments. What gives us the power to submit to God like Abraham is when we see Christ submitting to God on our behalf, doing the thing we couldn't do. Look at Philippians 2.8. It says, And being found in human form, he, Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, knowing that Christ obediently submitted to the will of the Father, even though it cost him his life, for our sake, changes our heart. Like, when you apprehend that, it changes your heart. It changes you on the inside. Christ is the ultimately submissive Abraham. God's plan of redemption from before the beginning of time was that his only son would be killed in our place to pay for our sins, for our lack of submission, our rebellion. Our rebellion. Or no, I'll take that, and I'm good. And that's why he did that for us. You know what Christ said? When they planned this, Christ says, here am I. Here I am. Meaning, I submit. I'll do what you want, Father. I'm glad to obey you. I'm glad to submit to you, even though it will cost me my precious life. I love you, Father, more than. In my own life. Here I am. Christ is the ultimate Isaac who radically submitted to his father's will. He submissively carried the wood on his back up a hill, but is in the form of a cross. That was the shape his wood took. Christ submissively let his father bind his hands in his feet not with ropes but with nails they were bound to that wood and he wasn't coming off do you understand he trusted completely that his father knew exactly what he was doing even when the knife came down on him and there was no voice from heaven and there was no one saying stop he trusted his father knew exactly what he was doing hey hey for you For you. (laughs) For me. We who do not submit. (laughs) Is that radical? That's love. That's love. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. I'm going to get you. From up there, he didn't do any of that. What does it say? But continued entrusting himself who judges justly. He continued and trusted himself to the one who judges justly. He said, Here I am, I know you'll do what's right. Here I am, I know you'll provide. Christ did the radical submission that we could not do so that through his power we could radically submit to the Father. And that is the gospel of Jesus. That is the good news for you, for me, and for the whole world that doesn't know about it yet. When we see how much Christ loved us, it makes us want to love him by living like him. What could I give up that's more precious than that? Because Christ did the submission we could not do, he's actually given us his own spirit to empower us now to follow him. His spirit empowers us to obey just like he did. The Holy Spirit. He lives in us now because he made that sacrifice. Romans 5, 3 through 8 puts it this way. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You could could change that word suffering to submittings. We rejoice in our submitting, knowing that our submitting produces something. Ah, that test has a purpose, it's producing, it's productive. It's not just an inconvenience. It's not just getting in our way of being happy, right? It's producing something. Knowing that our submitting produces endurance, and hope produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He has been given to us. He is in us. Because Christ submitted on the cross, His very Spirit now lives inside of each of us who believe in Him. He gives us the power we need to trust that God truly, really, actually is enough. Through the Holy Spirit, we experience the love of God toward us fresh when we need it. New when we need it. In fact, the Spirit may be doing that to you right now in your seat on the spot. You're experiencing fresh how much God loves you. That's through the Spirit. And it gives us the power to trust Him, even in times of testing. In fact, I would say, especially in times of testing. Praise God. He's a God who loves us, He's a God who gives us the resources we need. He provides what He requires. (laughs) He provides what He requires. I love you guys. I pray, to pray. Oh God, holy God, we love you. Your word is so powerful and uh, straight. (laughs) Lord God, I I, I know and I believe that you're speaking to our hearts here. And I pray that you would continue to do your work through your spirit. God, I pray that you would make us a people, you would even make us a church that we radically submit to you. We give up our preferences. We have our dreams, but we're willing to give them up. We love your gifts, but we're willing to give them up for you. Heaven doesn't mean a thing if you're not there, Jesus. It doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't matter who else is there. If you're not there, it doesn't mean a thing. God, help us love you that much. Help us worship you that much. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God, that you provide the very thing you ask of us. You ask for us to show it, and you provide that for us too, that faith, through through your Son, through the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. Oh, it was amazing. So Lord, let your love come fresh to our hearts now and just melt us. Just melt us. And it is in the very, very precious name of Jesus we pray and ask all these things of you, Lord. Amen.